Welcome to the next podcast from Milliner Info. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me today for this episode with Voltrad Reiner. Voltrad is a milliner and teacher based in Melbourne, Australia. She is the founder of Torben Reiner, now known as Millinery Hub, and the driver behind Hatmobile. Thank you to our wonderful podcast sponsors, Be Unique Millinery, Hatter's Millinery Supplies, the Millinery Association of Australia, Catherine Cherry Millinery, Hat Academy, The Essential Hat, Hat Atelier, Louise McDonald Milliner, That Millinery, House of Adorn, Lifted Millinery, and Hat Mags. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes, through your podcast app or on our website. If you've been enjoying listening to this podcast series, I invite you to show your support through Patreon. There are two tiers that you could select from, either being a podcast sponsor or a supporter. You can find out more or sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash millenarymfo. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Voltrad. Thank you so much for joining me today, Voltrad. It's wonderful to have you as part of our podcast series. First question I love to kick off with is how did you first become involved with millinery? Uh, well, first, thank you that you have me. You know, any um, uh, if if anybody who gives me a chance to talk about hats uh, is difficult uh, to stop me, because it is my passion and has been my love uh, for thirty years. And huh, I'm, I'm even by the word, I I already feel in the first sentence quite moved by it because it really is still true after those thirty years how much I love it. And I think I'm moved by it because you are asking how did I get into it is it was the search for my vocation in, in life. What was my purpose? And I am Austrian born, as many people um, know, and some might notice with my accent, <laughs> which is hardly there. Uh, <laughs> not. Um, anyway, um, I, I did a fashion degree in Austria, and after I had finished that four-year um, degree, I felt very much lost and never felt at home in, in, in the scene, because we're talking 70s here, and the 70s were very much about uh, people who were flat in the front and flat in the back and had the blonde hair strain and draped gowns and I did not my body shape never fitted that kind of fashion hence I I also didn't feel I was accepted I had um, I, I had this sense of um, this is just wrong I I cannot be me in this of course I could have become a dressmaker and and worked somewhere but I was um I knew there was something else for me and I didn't know what that was. And at heart, I felt I always wanted to be some sort of a healer in, in the mental health space and not really being quite clear about that. But after the fashion degree and feeling so unhappy, I wanted to become a psychologist and um, do more training. But my mother, I, I come from the country. Uh, we're quite uneducated um, parents and grandparents. And work was very much valued, but not 
education. And so my mother was not willing to support me um, to for more schooling because in her eyes, it looked like I was lazy, didn't want to work and just wanted to go to school as if that was, um, you know, sort of losers went to university and studied because they didn't want to work. And so I left home and left uh, with $8 in my pocket and a, wow. a free ticket in uh, on the train because my father worked for the train uh, company. And I ended up uh, boarding the first train to Germany. Um, and I ended up in a place which um, I stayed in for six years. Wow. I, I did... Um, waitressing and I sold cosmetic and I I became a ski instructor and in summer I would lead people into the mountains sort of being a bit of a what you know drink lots of schnapps and <laughs> and entertain the guests yeah. and I wanted to save money for my my education but after a couple of years I thought no I'm going to be happy here forever I do not need anything else the, the, the privilege of people in the 20s. And then after six years, my heart started to, um, and, and when I say heart, I'm actually meaning that space around on the, on underneath the heart, in the, in the, in the gut. And it's mm. almost, you know, and I know we all know about that gut feeling and we often push it down or we don't believe it. But that God kept saying, you know, move on. This is not where you're supposed to be. This is, this is not your life. And I didn't know where to. And I, I was very sad, at, you know, all these years looking for um, where I needed to be. I also developed an eating disorder at that time. I became bulimic and not understanding anything about it. But my life was just, I was under this black cloud I wanted to be a healer but I needed to heal myself and I didn't quite know how to do that yes. and what happened then I opened a magazine a glossy magazine and that glossy magazine had a three-page rep um, report about the barrier reef lots of photographs amazing and and my gut said you've got to go to Australia and I went, oh, that sounds like a good idea. It's like I had these little conversations with self, you know. Yes. And, um, and so I sent off my passport. I had some money saved. And lo and behold, without four, within four days, I had my visa back. And wow. two, two months later, I was landing in uh, Sydney at four o'clock in the afternoon in December um, not realizing that it was summer, not realizing there was a 10-hour time difference, not realizing that really my English did not exist. I, I thought having had English at school for four years was yes. equipping me and it didn't. And I um, somehow managed to get myself from the airport to, to out to the highway and hitchhike to hitchhike north because I was going to go to Cairns. This is why I came. <laughs> and, I, um, and I'm just going to be there probably by midnight, something like that. That was mm -hmm. my thinking about Australia. For anyone who doesn't know the geography of Australia, that's Sydney to Cairns is not, not a quick trip. That's right. <laughs> I had no idea, no, uh, no map, no internet, uh, just 
the gut and a huge portion of I will be all right. And for two months, I cried. Um, I made it as far as, as um, uh, Fraser Island. Everybody around uh, on the roads kept saying, turn back, turn back, because you can't go in the water in Cairns. What's the point of going north in December? Nobody does that. The wrong time. And then I thought, well, what's the point? I won't go then. And I ended up in Melbourne through many different circumstances. And I found myself a job as a nanny in Turek um, to find my feet, learn some English, get the law of the land. And at the end of this, my um, people who employed me lend, sort of lent me out uh, to Caulfield. <laughs> Yes. near Hawthorne Road, to be a nanny for a person who was pregnant at the time and she needed help with her two-and-a-half-year-old. And I took this two-and-a-half-year-old for a walk. And as I walked down the street, I walked past a hat shop called Magda Urban. And Magda Urban, um, I, uh, I, I knew nothing about. I just saw hats and I thought, oh, I love hats. Let's just go and try on some hats. And I walked inside the shop, but as I was in, I realized this was made to measure and made to measure. I had great respect for because I, I learned haute couture. So I had great respect when, when I realized this was made to measure, you, you could see it, you could smell it. And I wanted to get out the shop because I, 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 I was ashamed. And, but before I could, she walked, came out of the workroom as uh, she was in her early sixties, my age now, she had this stern look about herself because she was a Holocaust survivor. There was no nonsense and no flies on Magda. And she looked, they took one look at me and went, you know, yes, can I help you? And I said, well, uh, actually, I just came inside to ask if you needed an apprentice because I knew Australia didn't have apprenticeships. I thought she would say no and I can leave. And she goes, no, I don't, but I need somebody to sew. Can you sew? And I said, yes, I have a fashion degree and I have all my papers in Austria. And I, I carried on, you know, waffling and just to get out the door. And she goes, and I said, I can get them sent. My mother can send them. And she says, I don't believe in papers. Come in here on Saturday, work with me for a day. And I tell you if you're going to be a millionaire or not. Be here at nine. And I said, Okay and left the shop and outside I stood with this kid and I went, what the effing was this? <laughs> and how is art made? So the first time the question came, how is art made? Because 70s hats were cablings, raw material, stuffed in the handbag, a hand, you know, maybe a head fitting stitched in and they called that hats. We, we, we had this lately, that, that trend again, you buy a cabaline and you put a head fitting in and you put a ribbon around and you charge $500 or, or plus. And um, so I went back and as I went back, um, uh, she gave me a job to stitch in the head fitting. At the time, I didn't realize that, but I un under understand this now since many years. It was my first meditation I had ever done. It was this meditative stitch of going in, out, in, out. And the first one took me about 50 minutes 
because I, I it had to be invisible. I, 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 so it was very difficult for me to, to ha ha hold the hat like that. And as I was sitting within 20 minutes, I had this silence because she didn't talk to me. And I had this feeling in my gut, what I had, what took me to Australia, kept rising into my shoulders and I started getting goosebumps and into my head. And there was this sense as if I heard a voice. I'm not a religious person, but I'm spiritual. And this voice said, this is it, you are home, stop looking. And wow. it was like amazing. It touched me so deeply. And then she goes at 12 o'clock. Yeah, if you want, you can start on Monday. I pay you $7 an hour. Be here at nine. And I went straight back to this babysitting job and said, look, guys, I have never done this to let people down in this way, but I know this is it. I, I need to take this. And I did. And I've put never down the needle since. Um, I, I worked with Magda Urban for about um, six months, seven months. She was very, um, she needed me for certain jobs. She wasn't, she wasn't stingy that she didn't want to teach me. She, she just taught me what she needed me for. And I was hungry and I wanted more. And I already had known Warwick, my husband at that time. So we left to go to Europe and our plan was to go for a year and wherever we went from Austria through Germany through Holland I went got the phone books looked up all the hat shops in every town we went to I would go to the hat shop I would ask if I could sweep if I could help if I could window dress if I could do anything I just needed to be in the environment and I worked my way for free for many months uh, as we traveled and then we ended up in London and in London I came across Rose Corey who many people know and I make a great point of always saying we stand on the shoulders of others and I certainly stand on the shoulders of Rose Corey because she has set me up with such a sound foundation of skills which I then spent um, following her around London for two years full-time every day and then I worked for Philip Somerville for two years and carried on going to uh, three years two years and carried on to evening classes with with um, Rose Corey when um, um, almost every night. It's an amazing story and from working at Philip Somerville's what was the next stage for you because you've eventually returned to Australia um, what was the next step for you? When I worked for Philip Somerville, um, I, I then got pregnant um, and I, I could take Toby to, um, when he was born, I could take him to still to my classes with Rose. Uh, he was with me in every lesson, but I couldn't take him to work. Um, so I needed to stop work. But the workroom at Philip Somerville's has... Um, taught me a great deal of skills mm. also a great deal about work rooms and how cruel they can be and uh and how you know um the 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 rag trait um is not necessarily 
or or what it is made out to be. I mean, Philip Somerville, for example, he didn't have a clue how to make a hat. Um, he relied on his women he had in the workroom, which were amazing. Um, the head of workroom uh, being French, and there were um, several, well, most, I was the youngest there. Um, mm. All the others, they, they were of vintage, a generation which already has now gone with a lot of skills now i am moving towards the vintage and i am gonna be i'm part of this gen generation of starting to hand over the baton to others and it has always been terribly terribly important to me in my in my career to teach people everything i know and can for that very reason as um, Rose Corey did with me. Rose Corey not once said, uh, I can't show you that or, 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 or I, that's not for you. She would go out of her way to teach me whatever I asked, which I cannot say from the workroom. The workroom set you up to make mistakes. They knew that they, you know, when you made a mistake, that you had to undo it or you or, or or they had a good laugh because you 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 fell into a trap but but it taught me you know and it's it's it um so i would not want anything to to not have happened because i i believe that any lesson you get any learning you get any teacher you get in your life is going to teach you something, even if it is something, how not to do something. It's a lesson, and that's really important. Absolutely. But for me, it was and is still, skills need to be shared, because if you do not share the skills, they die with you. And it, it can only stay alive through storytelling. And the storytelling or the, 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 the telling through making, this is how you keep it alive. This is how you, you help others grow. And what brought you back to Australia or when did you come back? Well, I came back then to Australia um, after four and a half years or so. Toby was um, a, a little dot. He was five months old. <laughs> And Mark de Urban at that stage had for two years been saying to me, come back, take over the business. I think you can do it. But I didn't feel ready, technically ready after. And I, an apprenticeship in Austria is three to four years. So it was in my DNA that you can't call yourself a milliner and twice not start a shop or a business with having two years of training. It, it just didn't feel for me I, the grounding. I know things have changed, but at the time I, 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 I wouldn't have. And so I, we decided, Toby, you know, with a child, you look at the ground in London and you see how dirty London is and the tube and that Australia was the place we wanted to live. And so I came back and bought the business on a handshake with Magda Magda, we had a piece of paper where we would take off every Friday. She would come with a challah and bring me um, uh, the bread for Shabbat and, um, and would take away with the other hand whatever I could give her. It was only cash and check. There was no GST. There was, it was very 
easy to do business really um, in, in the early 90s. And, uh, and we lived behind the shop and very, very quickly, it became apparent to me, number one, I had, I had bought a business in the heart of Caulfield. Um, I am Austrian born, I'm not Jewish. Uh, Magda Urban was my, my rough diamond who believed in me, who saw something in me and trusted me yeah. and gave me a go. As, as, so she is another woman, shoulders I'm standing on. Yeah. Oh, I think you can hear that. <laughs> Such a beautiful, and for her to have that faith um, in you, to know that you could continue what, what is her legacy is a really yeah. lovely and very trusting thing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and also not to kind of, you know, run off or, or not come through with, with, with the money in the end. And we didn't need lawyers and we didn't need accountants. And, uh, yeah, there was just, I think she, she had developed such a, a sense. When, one, when you come out, I think, as she did, surviving Auschwitz and she lost her family in Auschwitz, you kind of develop a very much as we would call a bullshit um meta you know um measuring device of of who you are dealing with and and then um having had this having the shop then in melbourne uh, in in hawthorne road was very much I, I dealt with a third of my clients was the jewish community for bambitzers and and um and call-ups and weddings and, and shul and high holidays. And the other part was the, the Melbourne Cup and the races, and which at the time we made hats for uh, a, a set of clothes just in case the weather was good, we made straw hats. And just in case the weather was bad, we made felt hats so a woman would come in and she would have two outfits for the melbourne cup depending on what the weather was and they would dress accordingly to the weather so there were far more hats made um the the, the there were more women alive who understood quality women who understood what type of straw they were getting and what quality flowers and they would not put up with a, a plastic straw a poly, polypropylene or a straw which was coarse they wanted peri bundles or a grade um peri sizes because they understood it they had clothes made or they had designer clothes but that sort of something has been throughout the 90s that slipped away um, now we are not with the conscious anymore at the races it's all about a good insta photograph never mind that we are not wearing walking very well in the high shoes or or it's 15 degrees, you know, <laughs> and windy and rainy. That was nice and amazing to make those kind of conservative, conservative hats. But my heart, I've always been an artist at heart. I had a longing for making hats what I considered what I would wear and, and which to many people were a bit out of the box. So I opened up a space 
in the north side of uh, Melbourne called the Meat Market. And the Meat Market was an artisan place where many artisans worked from. And that allowed me to, to work and, and make artistic stuff. And um, where the Caulfield people would say, do people wear that? But uh, on the north, you know, uh, it was exciting to to make cloche and to cut it and 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 shape it and and drape it and and have different materials to work with and i employed somebody for that space and on the weekend i would work there myself so effectively i worked 7 days a week but i didn't see it as 7 days because it was my love but of course, it took its toll. You know, I'm not Wonder Woman, but at the time I thought, yeah, sure, I've got two shops. Why don't I start the Melbourne School of Millinery? Upstairs, there is seven rooms and I could rent them. So I did that. So I rented the upstairs, which was seven rooms, and I founded the Melbourne School of Millinery in 92 or 93. And that was where the, actually the Australian Millinery Association was born um, and we had the first meetings there and they uh, they incorporated there and the first uh, millinery certificate course was run up um, in at the at the school Kangan Batman left me total autonomy to run that course out of that came Kim Fletcher Rebecca Share. Georgina Canade. Kim Fletcher started out having a little sort of corner in my second in the shop over at the meat market where I always displayed the milliner of the month, the upcoming, the best student or promising student. And uh, and then uh, in '97, I, I of course started getting tired, but you know, being the stoic, tough Austrian who is not allowed to be tired because you come from a stoic working farming family. Um, uh, then all of a sudden, the rug got pulled out from underneath us uh, because of my husband's accident. He had an accident, and he, um, as a result, is suffered. Uh, um, a spinal cord injury which uh, rendered him um, complete paraplegic and um, which happened now you know what 25 years ago or something like this <laughs> children were small five and eight and that changed the course of my 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 life very mm, much as it would yes as it as it would but um to 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 good things you know it's yes. uh, I carried on teaching. Um, I, I, I sold the business in Caulfield. The Meat Market Craft Center was unfortunately at the time because of politics, they, they closed it anyway. So we had to move the Melbourne School of Millinery. And, uh, and, and that was for me, in, in a way it fitted for me, even so it was sad, but I couldn't have done anything else at the time. Uh, Kengan moved to a high school and I carried on teaching um, for them for 14 years. Um, and, but my mental health really started going down. I was keeping afloat with the stoicism. Um, my husband also became quite depressed. And then in 2000, um, 
there was sort of the crunch point 2001 where I had reached bottom, um, where I knew I, I, was, I was on the verge of cracking, what, and I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know, did that mean uh, the, the, the ground would open? Did it mean I, I'm going to dissolve in a puddle of tears? Did it mean I would kill myself? There was no understanding. It was just this strong feeling. I am breaking and I, am, I, I don't know what to do. Mm. And uh, I, that was the beginning where I really felt then that when I came out of it, that I wanted to be very active in the mental health field. That yes. everything I had done throughout all my growing up as a child and developing the eating disorder and 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 um, and and try and being different, you know, when you are when you're different. I was different in 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 the country, and and people today still consider me as different. And it was hats what helped me through it, and the making and the making of things, and the expressing my sadness and my despair and my 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 sort of lost lost hopes when you have drama in your life you know i'm not the only one with 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 drama there's people who have lost children and sons and daughters to suicide cancer you know uh, uh, husbands i i have it i hear it all the time when i travel in the country mm -hmm. how um despair drives people to suicide and they shoot themselves hang themselves and it is devastating because they you just don't know at the time what to do and for me i had art and i and i cannot say often enough how the making hat making be it hat, for me it's hat making that's you know yes. that's the closest i would ever get to the brain with a hat but it is the hats the color the textures the stitches the 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 the, the losing yourself in the doing um allows for for well-being it's beyond making money of course you know it's a business as well but many people who listen to your podcast they probably might be hobbyists or might just do it for themselves might have done it and and i i would be surprised that they don't know what i'm speaking about that it touches something in us Okay. And it's and as you mentioned, it's such it can be such a meditative thing, the repetitive, detailed processes. Absolutely. Mm. Um, oh, where to go from there? Thank you for sharing mm. all of that story. It's so um important that we talk about you know, the mental health aspect as well. So yes. look, I think it's really yeah. I can't I can't separate millinery uh, from the mental health anymore. I can't. Mm. To to me, the, the, the hat is a metaphor, has become a metaphor, and we keep things under our hat. And whenever I make a hat, so from a, from a milliner's point of view, working with a client or a student, the mental health is right there, right at the beginning. It is not my ego who is, is going to force the hat onto the person who is going to wear it or the student because I think it's the right thing to do. It's important to, 
to support, to feel and find out who is that person in front of me. Are they able to step out with what, what I have in mind for them? Because on the day they are alone, that is where the mental health already starts. If we can, can recognize that it is the person who needs to wear it, the person who, who is going to wear it has to bring it alive. And if they are going to be drowned in this hat because the hat is so big or the hat is too small or the hat is too fashionable or too loud or too whatever, then the person underneath is being is basically the carrier and not the one who breathes life into a hat. And I have always you know, I've been known to say that that the, the wearer breathes life into the hat. And that, that's what I mean by that. It's, the, the hat is a dead object when it sort of just sits there. But it is you and the clothes and your smile and your stride and your, your, your eyes. And the, all of that is, is an addition to the millinery, to the making. So it, it's, a, it's, 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 it's all of that. And that led you to a project that you completed a few years ago, Hats for Happiness. Could you tell us a little bit about how that came about and what the project was? By 2005, I had gotten myself on, you know, from, from 2000, from my breakdown, where I was saved through art therapy and not art therapy as a structural sense. It was more a week of immersing myself in making, which allowed me to, 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 express to externalize my pain onto something and that then led to the realization if this is helping me then that must help other people so stop being that teacher who has a big ego and is only concerned with when I teach hat making you know that has to be right because it's like, otherwise, I'm not a good mom. You know, the narcissistic wound. If, if another milliner is going to see that and they say, I learned this with Weitraud, and if it's not right, then Weitraud gets judged. So that was up to 2000. And from 2000 onwards, it went, no, this is not about me. This is about the person. And what can the person actually do? And how much can the person cope with and that I become the, the vehicle for them to be their own vessel, you know, that they could fill themselves again, because most of us run on empty or become empty at a stage in life. You know, we have children, we try to check, tackle work and husbands and uh, some of us are single and and have to do this all by themselves and this is a lot asked and where we never stand still enough for this vessel to be filled and art allows that so my teaching changed and i started flying with with flying arts which is a queensland organization for several years and um and i flew into remote areas of australia i would then often hire a four-wheel drive and then carry on driving and then drop that back in another airport and fly out again and, and back. Um, people who are in Europe don't quite understand that, but America probably will understand that the distances are vast in Australia. And I, there's, 
I have worked and taught on properties where women would fly in with aeroplanes to that property um, because it would be a seven-hour drive uh, or six-hour drive otherwise. So I then decided that I wanted to maybe do a road trip because I knew if I, if I would hire a camper van, I could do many more uh, people. So I took my daughter out of school. She was 12 or 13, something like that by then. Um, and we drove for two months um, all of Queensland. Um, we did 28 communities. That was in 2005. And at the same time, I raised awareness and money for Beyond Blue, which started the Blue Hat Project, um, raising money and awareness for depression. And that was sort of the beginning when Australia started getting a taste of it's okay, let's, let's, let's maybe speak the word depression. The stigma is much better and we, we, we talk much more about that now. But that was that trip. So I would make hats and every town I would roll into and at night I would set up a, um, a display for Beyond Blue and, and people would come and listen to my story, what it took about how I dealt with, with my eating disorder and how I dealt with the accident and uh, the children and what that meant because often we forget it's, it's the victim often. He gets all the the, 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 the um, the, the the attention, but the carers, they they sort of fall off the wagon. And for the carers, often it is, well, that's your job. You know, that's what you have signed up for, and and that in itself, you know, has has got consequences. And out of that became that sort of morphed then into the the Hats for Happiness books. Um, first, they were um, um, people would make uh, hats uh, from all over the world, little hats. They were given a theme and they were sort of like in dice to think around what does it mean when they hear chaos? What does it mean brainstorm? What, what does it mean to them when they think about mental health? And how could that be expressed in a hat? And they would make little hats, put a, a, a little story with it, and we then published those books and uh, sold them in an auction and the money again went to um, mental health organizations in Australia and um, and Hat Week uh, which uh, is my registered company name was registered in in 19 um, I can't remember now 2001 or something but we registered Hat Week which was the, the first week in October was the mental, is the Mental Health Week in Australia and Hat Week encompassed the, the um, um, Blue Hat Project and the Hats for Happiness and Hat Walk. And everything was around get out your hat, go for a walk, raise some money. And, it, and again, what hats are you wearing? What do you keep under your hat? Uh, does the hat fit? And that brings me back to the beginning. The very first thing I did was the head fitting. The head fitting, what makes the hat fit on your head. And if the hat doesn't fit, you have to either make it larger, smaller, or put in a new fitting. 
And the metaphoric hats we wear in life need the same thing. They need to fit. If it doesn't fit anymore that I am a, a person who runs an, a, a, a millinery supply, what I did for many years, mm -hmm. then you have to let go of that hat. Sell the business, get on and do something else. That was the, which was very amazing. And I loved the, 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 those projects. And again, it was a very hard, hard laborers work. And without the people who supported me, helped me made that happen with volunteer hours, I, I couldn't have done it. You know, it's, it's very well to say I did all this, but I didn't do it alone. There was always people believing in me as from the beginning, you know, Rose, in London, marked uh, in, in Caulfield when I was in my budding uh, late 20s. And, and then all those other people who kept sort of blowing wind under my wings. It's amazing. And you mentioned in the Torben Marina on um, the millinery supply business, where did that fit into the puzzle? How did that start? Because that's another amazing project which you built up. Yeah, well, um, that... Uh, in, in 2000, again, it all, all sort of started changing in 2000. Um, around 2001, I was already flying and teaching. And I was teaching, I was teaching a technique what um, nobody was doing or, or was not interested in. I worked a lot with uh, Anstiefen Cinema. And I did a lot of free shaping with cinema. Um, I brought in Chinsin uh, for the first time um, in, in 2001 and, and started teaching with Chinsin. Again, people weren't interested as the millinery industry as such, you know, the, the, in Melbourne or Sydney. or uh, But in the country where I went and taught, a lot of that materials was used. So I imported it myself because I couldn't get it from the milliner suppliers here. And I didn't, they, I didn't like the stiffened and the milliners didn't like the unstiffened because they struggled so much with stiffening it. Um, you know, it, uh, and, and then all of a sudden more people wanted to buy Melburnians. They wanted this and they wanted that. And I thought, what's going on? Um, we have our millinery supplier Preston. And I realized that um, Mr. Preston, his son was sort of uh, struggling also. So I thought there seems to be an opening. I might as well start selling more. And I started importing more materials. And then uh, before I knew it, I worked out of this space here in my studio, which is a very large space, but it's um, up for about eight years, nine years I was here. And I couldn't move anymore. It was just shelves, and I had people standing in the in the in the hallway downstairs. It's a private home, and they said yeah. they were sent, and it was chaos. So I had to make a choice. I either had to move out and set up shop, or I had to stop. And I felt I had put in so much work over the years and sweat that stopping was sacrilege. So I moved into a shop and um, set up this, I find it, gorgeous haberdashery. It's, I, I really loved it. I loved playing shop. I loved the, the sort of maintaining the, that, that dying, the dying uh, 
haberdasheries of places where you go in and you can look at hats and materials and you find treasures and there's velvet curtains and many, many hat blocks. And I really, really love that. But I couldn't stand the importing. I couldn't stand the dealing with exchange rates and and permits because at that time we needed import permits for cinema and we needed import permits and and that all was so complicated and um and not what i am enjoying i could get good at it but i don't like it you know it's it's it was a hat i didn't want to wear and i had to my aim was to move out and f- I do it for five years, build a business and then sell it. And that was the goal. And that's what I did. And I sold in 2016 um, to Lindsay, who took it now two stops further up into another space. It's very nice to see that it happened in that way. And I decided then that I needed to, to become true to myself and really fulfill in order to come the whole cycle, what I wanted to do when I was 19. So I did a master's in psychotherapy, which I've just finished last year. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. That now has given me another way of being with people. And I I am marrying now very much the the element of a, a healer who who has a different way of holding a group now to using art therapy or the hat making very much more so uh, as, as, as I think the workshops have become richer because of that. There's something now has integrated. My own healing has come, has come to, is healed and has taken many, many years. And that integration of what was the medicine for it and how, how does the medicine be, how, how does the medicine need to be applied? That is the training. So it, there was a knowing, but not quite how many spoonful, if you know what I mean, you know, because everybody needs something different. And, uh, and I am so excited about growing old or aging you know i'm 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 excited to see to see people uh young people out there making hats even so look it's so different the the way hats have changed and and but there's no point of going yeah in my day and when i made hats you know it was so much better and we did it model millinery and yes, that's all true. And I and I and I we did it different. But at the same time, new materials kept coming in. And Jean Carroll, she is a Sydney milliner who has now died. And Jean Carroll came to me to do a class when she was seventy-six years old uh, in cinema, seventy-four. And, and, and I didn't know she, who she was at the time. And, and then she goes, she's Jean Carroll. And I go, what, what are you coming to me for? You know, I am something like 30 years older, younger than her. And she goes, well, darling, you know, it's new material. And I don't know anything about cinema and you do. So you teach me. And, and I, and this, this is a woman. This is the example 
if you you embrace the new, you don't say no. You false shapes, embrace it. Thermoplastics, embrace it. Learn it. You might not stick with it because half of it is rubbish, but it has its place, and you need to know when to apply it. That doesn't mean it. 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 Now it. Everything is going to be. We don't need straws anymore. We just do false shape and we glue it all. No, it's another tool. It's another thing in your toolbox. You you want to know embroidery, basket making, felting, handbag ma handbag bag making, glove making. I learned all those things in London. Did I want to be a glove maker? No. Did I want to be a bag maker? No. But it gave me skills which I draw on so often in my teaching, in problem solving, in what I, a stitch I have learned here in glove making, I can use, you know, in wire work or who knows with what. They're such transferable skills. Yes, totally, totally. I get so excited about all of this. <laughs> I would also love to um, hear about your, I want to call it a van, but it's way more than a van, Hatmobile, Hatmobile. Well, the, the Hatmobile or Hatmobile, however, it was Batmobile, Hatmobile, you know. <laughs> um, it's the Hatmobile came out of the 2005 trip um, yes. when I did the, the one in a rented car. And I knew when I brought that car back um, after two months that I needed to do one day I needed to have a hatmobile that that would give me the freedom to keep traveling into remote areas in Australia and stay a bit and not having to race off to an airport or or to not being able to to sit with people afterwards and I also could take more materials and I Brought on my way back uh, a, a, a postcard was exactly how I envisioned it. And I put it on my desk and I kept thinking one day this will come in my life. And it did. And it appeared. And I recognized it. And, and from there, um, I, it, I never, I never... Uh, looked back either so the hatmobile is still with me and i still travel with it uh, with COVID, of course uh, we have been grounded and uh, as long as i can drive i will drive i don't know how long that is i i i have got um you know i i built a a purpose-built therapy room in our garden so i have both those elements of you know if I can't drive anymore because my eyesight is so bad, then I hope I can listen into my 80s because the, the healing aspect is, is really a, something in me. It's, it's a gift I have to acknowledge as, as I believe also that we all have a gift. And looking forward to um, obviously restrictions at the moment. You'd love to be out on the road, but um, with the exception of that, what are some of your upcoming projects that you're working on at the moment? I'm I'm carrying on uh, doing webinars, and I I I I have set up over COVID because I can't travel. I set up a film studio in in my a workroom, which consists of several cameras, which allows me to 
to really um, show people from every angle and close up the work and to to give them as much quality as I would give them if I was there in life, uh, in real with them. I, f I, I film um, little sequences and um, I've got a website, like apart from the Headmobile website, I also have a website where people can become a member and pay a membership. Um, and there's content, every content which gets uploaded is just a gl growing library. Um, I, I ran webinars to, with, uh, together, we have just done the first one with Denise um, from America, Denise Wallace, who is a theater person. And there's others coming up with other people. Um, I carry on doing my, um, my, the personal therapy with clients. I have a beautiful grandchild, um, which I feel so blessed. She is four months old. And otherwise, I think my, tra my traveling time, there's so much work needs to be done in Australia. There's so many people in the country who have got no access to quality um, and have to travel long, long way to, to get it. And, uh, you know, I've got one student who lives six hours away from the next fabric shop so there's it's uh, it, it grounds me I, I the country is in me you know you can take the girl out of the country but not the country out, out of the girl it does ground me but I also know that that is a big part for people's well-being and mental health that we are not connected to to the land or to nature and that is really important to for all our well-being, we do need nature and do that in a hat, you know, put on a hat, go for a walk uh, or do some stitching in, 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 in the park. This is really, really important. And, and for me, this is if, if I can travel again, that's where I will go. And with the Internet now, we all have been forced to learn to be on Zoom, to have some sort of a platform. We are not so afraid of it anymore. It gives great opportunity for people to connect and to be together rather than be apart. And, and I, I want to say, Lauren, it's very, I'm very, very, very understand how hard it is to reach out to people because I Often people say, oh, my God, you were talking to me or you, 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 trout. And I can't. And it is very, very difficult when you put people and dangerous when you put people up on a on a pedestal. I don't like to be put up because it's a long way down. And when you are up, you can fall down. I rather walk next to you. I rather walk between you and a hat box, not in front of you, not behind you. You know, it's like I believe that we are equals regardless where we are in our levels and education and skill. I have suffered my life of inferiority of thinking that because I come from uneducated parents, that makes me stupid too. And we are not, you know, we are not. We, we are the same. We are more the same then we are different. Thank you so much for sharing your wonderful words of wisdom and your story with us. It's been so wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Lauren. I appreciate you asked me.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Millinery Bow with Voltran. I'd like to thank our Patreon podcast supporters for making this episode possible. These amazing businesses are Be Unique Millinery, Hatters Millinery Supplies, the Millinery Association of Australia, Catherine Cherry Millinery, Hat Academy, The Essential Hat, Hat Atelier, Louise McDonald Milliner, That Millinery, House of Adorn, Lifted Millinery, and Hat Mags. You can find a link to each of these businesses in our show notes. That's either on your podcast app or through our website. We really appreciate their support. You and your business could show your support and become a Patreon of Millinery Info. There are two tiers. A podcast sponsor, which means your business or event is mentioned in our podcast, linked to through the Millinery Info website, and in our monthly newsletter. This starts from just $15 per month. The other option is the supporter tier, which is from $5. It's for those who would like to more quietly show their support so we can keep producing the content you see on Millinery Info. If you have any questions about becoming a Patreon, I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, you can visit www.patreon.com forward slash millinery info to sign up. I'm your host, Lauren Ritchie. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I look forward to talking hats with you again soon.